welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. I, I feel a great sense of expect, expectation this morning and expectancy. I'm so excited for the future God has for us. And I think part of the future God has for us is a future that we have the honour of creating in and with Him, that it's a future that is one that is designed around Him breaking through on behalf of His people. The reality is God wants to break through on your behalf. God wants to move on your behalf, but He wants our participation and our involvement in every step along the way, that God Himself invites us by His Spirit that lives inside His people for us to be a part of the victory. You know, as we're preparing to shift to a new era as a church and take hold of what God has for us, I feel so strongly that God is wanting to do old things in new ways. That this is not about reinventing the wheel. This is about us rediscovering God's mandate and calling for us as His people. God is wanting to do old things in new ways. And I am inspired by all those that have gone before us, all those who have laid down their lives to see lives transformed, to see God's kingdom come, His will be done. I'm stirred up when I approach the Scriptures and I read accounts of people after people who are not perfect. The only perfect person you'll find in all the Scriptures is Jesus Himself. All God is looking for is a willingness to partner with Him along the way. And I see accounts of imperfect people doing amazing things for God as He breaks through on their behalf. I'm reminded of amazing stories of people who've gone even before us in faith and have seen the most amazing things happen. Now there's an account of a man that has just stirred me up to no end, a man named James O. Fraser, who at the turn of the 1900s, long time ago, totally removed from our culture. I don't know what he'd say to my addiction to playing games on my mobile phone, but in the 1900s, he was busy studying as a young man to be an engineer. He was a constant level piano player. He had a lot going for him. And I came across an account of this young man about to step out to his future, early 20s, about to graduate, that as he's entering into one of his rooms of study, somebody happened to hand him a booklet. And his little booklet was simple, something that he stashed away to the rest of his books as he goes off to study in the library and he pulls it out. And James O. Fraser gets this book and starts reading. And it has a very simple question. What would you say to Jesus about what you've done to extend His kingdom were He to come back and sit in front of you today? This young man who's been studying hard, who's been doing everything right, has his breath taken away. As he starts to think, what would he literally say if Jesus sat down beside him and said, with the grace that I've given you, what have you done to make a difference? That man, James O'Fraser, was set apart in that moment because he couldn't give an answer to that question. He knew in that moment there was nothing he could say. He knew With honesty and integrity, there was nothing he had to give except for in that moment he made a decision that he would give his all to be able to answer that question with confidence. In his early 20s, from that moment, he dedicated himself to prepare himself 
to go from England to southern China to reach unreached people, people who have never heard the name of Jesus in all of history. He went into an area in southern China where even the other missionaries who were joining him on the journey said, don't go there. That area is too difficult. Come with us. It's much easier over here in the heartland. But he had a burning desire to reach the mountainous tribal groups that nobody had been able to connect with in a substantial way. And he did everything right. This smart, wise, gifted young man learnt the language, dressed like the locals, ate rice for breakfast, lunch and dinner and set himself apart And he'd test himself with the language. He'd go into the streets, into the marketplaces and he'd start telling people about Jesus and he'd start gathering crowds around him and he'd write letters back to his family and his supporters back home. You wouldn't believe how hungry people are for the story of Jesus until he started to realise they weren't actually hungry for the story of Jesus. They were hungry to see what an Englishman looked like, dressed up like them. James O'Fraser's story goes on that for the next six years, he dedicated himself there in southern China, doing all he can to reach unreached people, to tell them about Jesus. And he produced no fruit. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine having your heart so set on fire to do something significant for God? And not after one, two, three, four, five Six years have nothing to show for it. He had message after message coming back to him saying, James, surely God hasn't called you. James, surely you've heard wrong. James, at least go into the areas where people are open to the gospel. And if not go there, come back home, James. It's not working out. But he couldn't budge this burning call that he was called there for some reason. He couldn't budge it even though he wanted to let go of it. In the accounts of his diaries and his letters, he would write back with all honesty to those that were standing with him in support and he'd say how down and brokenhearted he was. That he was bitterly disappointed, that he felt like there was something wrong with him, even to the point where he hoped that he'd slip off a mountainside. But he couldn't let go. In his account, it goes on to say that he was writing a letter back to his mother who was leading a prayer circle on his behalf back in England. And he writes in this letter something that changed everything. He said, I'm now giving you the burden for these people. I'm now putting onto you the need to see these people break through. As if you were here in my shoes I'm giving you the burden that I feel for them. That letter travelled over months, eventually arrived there in England where his mother opened it up and gathered a group of people around in her home. They read out the letter and cried and it says that they got down on their knees together and started crying out to God as if they were there themselves in that place in a location where they'd never even seen photos, in a location where there was no National Geographic, where they had no idea what the reality was. They started crying out as if they were there themselves and something shifted in that moment. 
that led James O'Fraser to start getting invited all throughout the mountainous regions to start telling people about Jesus. All of a sudden, he didn't change anything but put an emphasis on prayer to break through. That he learnt that successful missionary work wasn't based in the way that he spoke, but it was his willingness to dedicate himself to prayer and seeing people encounter God for themselves. And that as that started to shift, he started to get invited and then family after family after family after family after family started to encounter God for themselves. To the point where today in 2020, the southern parts of China, the Lisu people who were the people that he reached, number about a million people in estimations. And they say that today, in 2020, today, there are at least, they reckon at least on a conservative number, 300,000 followers of Jesus because of one person who was told to give up, who was told that you should accept your situations and circumstances, who was told that you should live your faith by what's going on around you instead of what God says to you. That you should live your faith by the expectations that others impose on you instead of the expectations you have for God to move through you that He was given the opportunity time after time after time to pack up and go home and say, obviously God hasn't called me to this. And I don't know what would have happened today to the Lisu people if He had given up. You don't know what's waiting on the other side of your obedience, your willingness to hold on and persevere. Scripture is filled with accounts of people like this and as we carrying on with our I Believe series. I wanna encourage you today, church, as we head into a new era, I believe in breakthrough. With all my heart, I believe in breakthrough. I believe that God Himself wants to break through in and out of your life. There's so much in Scripture that encourages me to break through, to persevere. Least of which is James O'Fraser's story. Here's some of the thoughts that come out of his own letters back to people. He wrote, I do not intend to be one of those who bemoan little results while resting in the faithfulness of God. My cue is to take hold of God's faithfulness and use the means necessary to secure big results. He goes on to say, the aim of satanic power is to cut off communication with God. To accomplish this aim, He deludes the soul with a sense of defeat. He covers us with a thick cloud of darkness, depresses and oppresses the spirit, which in turn hinders prayer and leads to unbelief, thus destroying all power. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I don't know if you've ever needed to persevere for a breakthrough and come face to face with disappointment and discouragement. It seems to me time after time, that's my reality. And that I'm positioned at a point where I know I just need to hold on. But all these narratives are whirling in my head, giving me all the reasons why I should just give up. Giving me all the examples why I should just pull back. Giving me all the encouragement in a negative sense to make things easier on myself. But see, I believe in breakthrough. And I believe that God wants to break through in and through us and we have a part to play because He wants us to be involved in the victory, to share in the spoils of war. There's a portion of Scripture that always comes out to me whenever I'm in a season needing breakthrough. 
It's a portion of Scripture out of 2 Samuel chapter 5, 17 to 25. And it talks about the second king of Israel who was actually God's first choice, a man named David. And David had just been anointed king. And it's interesting that one of the first things he sets about doing is conquering parts of the promised land that God had given His people that have remained in the enemy's stronghold for the entire time they'd lived in the land. That David goes in and for the first time ever, he conquers a city called Jerusalem. That up to that point, it had not been God's city. It had belonged to the enemy, but David anointed as king, goes in and takes Jerusalem. And from that day, it becomes known as Zion, the city of God. But he doesn't stop there. That all throughout the region that God had given His people, David sets about inspiring and leading God's armies to victory after victory after victory. Even though he was coming up against untold pressure and battles and every opportunity to give up. In this account of Scripture, the Philistines, a nation surrounding David, a very powerful nation, had gotten wind of David pushing back the enemy in the promised land and they stir things up. It says, now when the Philistines heard that they, God's people, had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephahim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And they left their images there and David and his men carried them away. It goes on to say in verse 22, Then the Philistines went up once again, deployed themselves in the valley of Rephahim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord again. And he said, God, you shall not go up. Circle around behind them. Come up in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove them back. In the life of David, I almost see a blueprint for myself of how to overcome the narratives that would stop me from breaking through. That here's somebody who's been tasked by God to take ground for the Kingdom of God, for his family, for his tribe, for his nation. And I feel that burden today for ourselves that us as a church, we're called to take ground for the Kingdom of God here, Rockingham, in the region and internationally to reach unreached people. But it takes individuals, it takes us taking serious the mandate of God that says He has called us to break through, to not stand back, but to press on and take over. But I don't know about you, but set with these challenges, so many narratives start to swirl that cause me to settle and take a step back. But when I see the life of David, goes into a place called Baal-perazim. That word Baal-perazim means Lord who breaks through. It's interesting that David went into this place and he renamed it 
It was the valley of the Rephaim. Rephaim means giants. It's interesting that the enemy went into a valley of giants to battle him, to resist him, to push back. But David goes into that very valley filled with giants and renames it as a valley where God breaks through on behalf of His people. And I wanna say to you today, wherever you are, God wants to break through on your behalf in and through you. That God wants to show Himself the Lord of breakthrough, but we have a part to play. So the narratives that stir up to stop us is a narrative that stops me regularly. Comes up and says, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. Whatever I'm going through, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. James O'Fraser, six years of unfruitful ministry, six years of not making a difference, six years of listening to people say, pull back, go home, give up. Instead, can't let go of the burning call of God that there is more. He goes on to say in one of his letters, the enemy is delighted to have us so occupied incessantly with secondary and trivial concerns as to keep us from attacking and resisting in the true spirit of conflict. You know, I wanna say to you today, the way that you overcome a narrative that says there's nothing you can do is just resist. It's to position yourself to stand strong. It's interesting when the Philistines stirred themselves up to oppress David, it says that immediately he went to his stronghold, the place where he prepares for war, that his first response was to get ready for battle. That he didn't pull back into his palace. He didn't go into a place to hide. He didn't go in and seek solace in his gardens. Instead, he says, the battle's here, so I'm gonna get ready. And he goes to his stronghold and he starts to prepare for war. And I wanna say the way that you overcome the narrative that says there's nothing you can do, just start resisting the work of the enemy in your life. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 to 9, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So resist him, resist him, resist him. Come on, this is a word for somebody today. Resist him. Again, I wanna say it, resist him. Firm in the faith. Firm in the faith, knowing that others are experiencing the same kind of suffering. How do you overcome a narrative that says there's nothing I can do? You accept the fact that the first step to victory in war is to simply to resist the enemy. That we prepare for battle and we say, God, you have something prepared for us to break through. But there's other narratives that stir up in me every time I have the pressure of needing to break through. Another narrative that comes up is it is what it is. It just is what it is. I should just accept the circumstances as they are. David could have accepted the fact that the Valley of Giants belonged to the enemy and there was nothing he could do. Nothing he should do. Why couldn't he just accept it is what it is? Instead of that, it says that David inquired of God. I wanna encourage you, inquiring of God is not just a simple prayer given as a token. It's the idea that we come before God and we beg and we plead and we pour ourselves out and we say, surely God, there's a way through. Surely God, there's a way through. Surely you would not take me thus far and no further. 
Surely, Lord God, as we, sh- we, we shift the eras of our church and we move into the new, surely, Lord God, You have more breakthrough available for us, individually and corporately. That David takes hold of this mandate to inquire of God. You know, God hears you. God desires to answer you. God desires to meet you where you're at. God desires to see you break through in and through Him because He loves you. That He's called you. It says in Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and He rescues them from all their troubles. The narrative's wrong. It is what it is, Lord. There's nothing I can do. Why not resist? Why not inquire? Why not listen? God, what do you have to say to me in this moment? There is so much that can be done when you receive one word from God. The situations and circumstances, what looks like a valley of giants can become a place of breakthrough. The narratives keep rolling for me. Maybe I'll handle the narrative, there's nothing I can do. Maybe I'll handle the narrative, it is what it is. But there's other narratives. There's, once I've won the battle, the victory is done. Surely once I've won, it's done. It seems that David goes in and he inquires of God and God says to him, I'm gonna give you the victory. And he leads his army with the confidence and the strength and the grace to see that victory come. It says that as they finish the battle, they're strewn along the battlefield. Are all the images and idols that the army, the enemy brought to bear. And in that culture of the day, people would worship gods of stone, of fire, of elements. Of Basically, they would craft themselves their own gods to meet whatever they wanted. That their basis of worship, in fact, the enemy's basis of worship is to live by wants instead of living by the heart of God that we would fashion the way that we live, pursuing our wants instead of laying down our wants before God and saying, God, would you work your will in and through me? And they're strewn throughout this battlefield that David has won as all the idols and images that the defeated army has left behind. And the challenge was that if David didn't deal with that, that was left behind, it would have sowed seeds of distraction for His army and His people. So the victory may come, but victory is something to be maintained. It says in another portion of Scripture that He scooped up all those idols and they burnt them. And it was important that they did because the moment they won, the Philistines came back again. Thinking, surely I've already won the battle. Surely I've already won. Surely I've already won. I don't need to keep on fighting. But the enemy is insistent. It's interesting that we're fighting an enemy that does not desire the expansion of the kingdom of God. I know sometimes it feels like we take one step forward and three steps back. But it's only because God's wanting to teach us the victory is something to be continually walked out. Victory is something to be continually lived out. Victory is real when we take hold of it and we don't let go of it. The battle may have been won, but we're called to keep on pressing on and taking more 
ground for the Kingdom of God. Because the moment you stop growing in your life of faith, you start dying and pulling back. It says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it. Be thankful. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. God wants to break through in and through you. There's another narrative that wrecks me, that I'm all alone. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Sometimes the battle's so overwhelming. We might have people around us, but we just feel alone. God, I feel so alone. Maybe I know that I've called to resist. Maybe I know that I'm called to deal with distractions and keep on pressing into victory. But Lord, I just feel so alone. I think it's significant that the second time the Philistines came to fight, God gave David very specific directions. He said to David, I want you to go around them and position yourself ready for war. But don't go in to fight until you hear the sound of an army on top of the mulberry trees marching in and you're to go in behind that. Why is that? What's God saying? He's saying to David, my army goes ahead of you. Heaven goes in front of you. And as heaven goes in front of you, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You follow through behind. And as you follow through behind, you rout the work of the enemy and you not only push back, but you defeat everything that has come up against you because you are called to be a people of breakthrough. Baal Perazim, He is the God of breakthrough and He's called you and I to live in breakthrough. God is wanting to do old things in new ways. And the truth is we never have to be alone in it because He wants to be in and with us by His Spirit because of everything He has accomplished in Himself. You know, we never have to be alone because Jesus became alone for us. That it says on the cross when Jesus was crucified that He cried out, Father, Father, why have You forsaken me? That He bore on Himself everything that separates us from the love of God. Everything that separates us from experiencing the breakthrough of God. Everything that separates us from hearing the heartbeat of God. Jesus took that on Himself on the cross. And in that, took on the abandonment, the sense of loneliness, the sense of being out there on your own so that He could die with that on Him so that we would never have to live with it on us. And as we head into a new era, God has called us to break through because of all that He's purchased for us. Individually and together. And so I wanna submit to you today, whether you're here with us now in person, whether you're online, Jesus wants to position you for breakthrough because of all that He's done on our behalf. And our part is to take hold of that victory and press in. It all begins because of a dependency upon God. It all begins because there's a deep-seated desire that says, I'm not alone. I am called to resist. I don't need to accept things as they are. There is better. You have more. 
but it's all made possible because of Christ Himself. So the battle is ours, but the victory is Christ. So I want to submit to you today, whether you're here with us in person or whether you're online, have you taken hold of the victory Christ has purchased for you? Because out of there, breakthrough flows. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.